You're listening to the Arsenal Church Podcast. To learn more about the Arsenal, go to thearsenal.church. And if you'd like to receive more content throughout your week, feel free to download the Arsenal Church app. And my name is Chad. I get to be one of the pastors here at this little community we call the Arsenal. So thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. We will be here another couple hours, and then we'll let you out of here. Um, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, look, that's biblical preaching is ours, all right? Like, Paul preached so long that a guy fell asleep, fell out of a window, died. He went and revived him, and then he went back to preaching. Like, that's, I'm going to talk about biblical preaching. Uh, if you don't believe me, it's, it's in there. Um, hey, we are continuing a series of talks that we have called ID or Identity. Um, we are, this is week four. This is week four of identity. Um, first week, we talked about f- the fact that we are forgiven, that we are fully, completely forgiven. Uh, second week, we talked about that we are free. We are free in Christ. We've been set free from this idea of law and um, that we must do things in order to earn God's approval, that we've been set free from that because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Last week, Rob talked about the idea of us being new creations, that we are new. Um, and this week, we're going to continue this series. We've got two more weeks in this series of talks called Identity. So we're going to continue that today, but I want to give a quick clarification. When we started talking about this series of identity, we said early on that these are foundational beliefs that we believe here at the Arsenal that kind of guide what we do. Here's my clarification for this. These beliefs, this theology, are, are things that the pastors, the leaders of this community, like Rob and I, kind of hold foundationally to these truths, uh, to this, this theology. Now, what that doesn't mean is that everybody in this room believes exactly the way that Rob and I believe because we're the pastors and you must believe what we believe. We don't teach that here. <laughs> like, if, you don't, if you're not there, if you don't believe what we believe, okay, I, cool. Like, that's fine. We, we love the questions, the, the, the back and forth, the challenge. Like, let, let's have those conversations. What I want you to, to know is that when we say these are foundational beliefs, it's not like you have to believe this, but what we're telling you is this theology kind of is the foundation, undergirds everything that we do here as a community, as the arsenal, why we do certain things. So if you look around and you're like, why do they do that? The church that I go to doesn't do that. The one that I used to go to, the one that I see online, they don't do this. Why does the arsenal do this? It's, a lot of it is fed by the theology, these foundations that we believe. Um, so that's why we do this. Again, if you don't believe all of this, that's fine. This, that, we, we want this to be a room where we can ask questions. Uh, we're not saying that everyone here collectively must 100% agree with us. There's this, old, there's this idea that the pastor is the only one with the knowledge. And you guys are like, yeah, right. No, we don't believe that. Uh, but there used to be this idea that the pastor is the only one with the knowledge. And so that it's like we all live under this code. And the guy at the front is the one that knows the code. And so he's teaching the code so that you know it. And so that now you know the code and now you, everybody's good. That, I don't believe that that's how this works. What I get to do as a pastor is I get, literally, I get paid to study some of this. You, you guys allow us to study and to pour into this so that we can then come together and have 
a conversation, kind of. It's very one-sided, I get that. Um, we try to ask questions, and we may, we may do that a little bit throughout some series where we ask questions and bring it up. But what I want you to know is we are a place where we want questions, we want pushback, we, we, we love it, we welcome it. So if you have questions, if you're like, hey, I'm not there, you said this, I don't know that I believe that, like, let's have that conversation. Rob would love to talk to you about it. Uh, no, we would. We, I, we would love to. So for a very long caveat, I'll wrap it up with this. The series of talks is stuff we think can be helpful in your spiritual journey, beliefs. It's shifts maybe in theology that have guided who we are as a church. We want you to know that. I acknowledge that it might be a little or even very different from some of the things you were taught growing up. And that's okay. I think we are learning who God is. Some of us were learning who God is in a very new way um, because the God we were presented, I don't believe was the God that created us. For a lot of us, there was a God presented to us that doesn't like us, that is mad at us, that is angry, that we must do something in order to please or impress. And I don't think that's the God that scripture talks about. And I really don't think that's the God that Jesus represented. So very long caveat, bottom line, you don't have to be where we are theologically, but we appreciate you listening and being open to this conversation, and let's keep having them. We good with that? Anybody have questions? I just said you could have questions. No. Rob, what do you got? You raised your hand. What's your question? I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's on. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> What's your question, Brittany? I knew you were going to tell me no. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I Hey, I don't know if you guys saw Brittany in her outfit. She's a baseball player. Um, I, no, you can go sit. <laughs> I didn't mean you had to come up here. Just She's showing off her baseball outfit because we didn't have a slide up. But just so you know, the Arsenal has a baseball team called the Abejas. See how I did that? Um, it's the, the bees. It, also, if you didn't know, there are honeybees. There's about 30,000 of them on top of our roof right now. You're safe. They're good. They're just making honey for us. Uh, but we, we have a baseball team. We play in a Sandlot tournament this coming Saturday. All the Sandlot teams in San Antonio are playing. There's like six of us this Saturday at the Wolf, at Nelson Wolf Stadium, where the missions play. So it's a really cool event. Um, so we'll be there all day Saturday playing in a tournament. So if you'd like to come out, you should come hang out and come cheer for us. I think we play. We actually got a buy because we're that good. Um, <laughs> it was a flip of a coin. But we're already winning. Um, but you get – we had to buy the first game. So I think our first game that we play is like 320 on Saturday, November 4th. So come out in the heat of the day. It's actually supposed to be cold, I think. Come out. Come watch us. Anyway, back to Bible stuff. Um, so this week in our talk, we're going to start in a scripture from Romans um, that's kind of foundational for our idea that we're going to talk about today. And it's this, Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is him that is talking about his, that's talking about in the scripture that Paul's talking about is Jesus. For if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with Jesus in a resurrection like his. There's a word used in both sides of this verse that's important that we will talk about today. It's the word united, um, to become one 
We are united with Christ. We are united with Christ in his death. We are united with Christ in his resurrection life. Right before this passage or this verse where, where Paul says this is Paul addressing this idea, this massive difference between law and grace and this introduction of this theology of who Jesus is and what he has done. We talked a little bit about last week or two weeks ago, but this was Romans 6.5 and Romans 5.20. Before this, this is what Paul says. He says, the law was brought in so that the trespasses might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul addresses law, the law, these rules that were brought in, the 613 laws of the Hebrew laws that were brought in, were brought in in order to increase sin, increase trespasses, to show you you can't be perfect. It, it, it was part of the system. It was baked in. But he says, and where sin increased, grace increased all the more. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. So does that mean we can just keep sinning and we just, I mean, what's the point of grace if we don't use it, right? And Paul knew this was going to be a question, so he continues in verse 1 of chapter 6 with this rhetorical challenge because he's, he's not having a conversation in Romans, he's writing a letter. So Paul's writing a letter to the church, but he knows that when I tell you that where sin is, grace increases all the more, your question is going to be, cool, so I can just keep sinning? And Paul says... What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You keep reading a few verses, and Paul in 6.5 implies this condition, this if-then condition, where he says, if we have been united in death with Christ, then we are united with him in life. Here Paul takes us from this idea of law, sin, this, this system that we're in, and he says, no, 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 you're, you're no longer under that any longer. You've moved into this world of grace. Here's how. Because when Christ died, you died. The old you died. And then when he resurrected to new life, you resurrected to new life. We became new creations through the life, the death, and then the resurrection of Jesus. Paul invites us in this moment into this profound realization that just as Christ died and rose again, in uniting with him, we too share his death and resurrection. It's this concept that is, is wild, I think, for us. And at times, we've been taught a very different idea of how this works. But what Paul is saying is this: in this is where the law defined you as a sinner, as never going to be good enough, as you can't be perfect, because we said a couple weeks ago, under the law, if you didn't keep 613 laws perfectly, you were found guilty. It was a pass or fail system, not, ah, I got 72% and I'm good. This isn't college, right? Like I said a couple weeks ago, C's don't get degrees when it comes to the law with Jesus. You either are perfect or you're not. And so where the law defined us as sinners, as never good enough, as can't be perfect, as God is mad at us until we appease him, we'll never be more than tolerated by God, or worse, we'll never even be allowed into the family because of fill in the blank. Where the law defined us as this, Paul says, no, 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 that old definition of you has died when Christ went to the cross. 
You are now defined by who you are in Christ, by who Christ is. You have been resurrected to new life. Paul says the way the law and consequently the sin that gets its power from the law, because sin doesn't exist without law. Law tells you what you can and can't do. When you don't do it, that's sin. But when we remove the idea of law, the sin system doesn't exist. It's, it's not something we live in any longer. So the sin that gets its power from law, it defines you. That's all died in our uniting with Christ in his death. And we now live in this new resurrected life. It isn't just this metaphorical death, but it is a profound transformation of our old self, shedding past identities and past misconceptions and stepping into a new life in Christ. While you were defined by your actions under the law, good or bad, under grace, we are defined by who Christ says you are. And we'll get into that. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I was crucified with Christ. This is the verse when we talk about this concept theologically of co-crucifixion, that when Christ went to the cross, you went to the cross. We were, we were killed on the cross with Christ. Our old self died so that your new life now is Christ in me, living through me. In, oh thanks, that was quick. I'm not there yet, we'll figure it out. In the Passion Translation of this verse, it's translated this way. My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. Who I, was, who I was went to the cross. For the nails of the cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. Verse 21, so that is why I don't view God's grace as something minor or peripheral. For if keeping the law could release God's righteousness to us, the anointed one would have died for nothing. You see, if we could have kept the law, then Jesus' death was pointless. In fact, when we say we want to live under the law, no, no, I can do this. I can show you that I'm perfect. I'm good. I'm a good Christian. When I decide to fall under law again, Paul says that I have cut myself off from the grace of God. Not that I've like re released God's grace, but I've said, hey, that's not good enough. I don't need Jesus. I can do this on my own. And what we end up doing oftentimes in church is teaching this idea of, of like self-proving who we are. And when we teach this, we're literally teaching against Jesus. So Paul says that if you, if you want to keep the law and find righteousness there, prove your rightness to God through the law, then Jesus' death was for nothing. So, as we read through this, we understand that we have been united. We are one. I, I want to point out one thing in this Galatians 2.20 passage. I read from the NIV, and then I read from the Passion Translation. And there's a difference in translation of one, port, port, one part of it that I want to point out. Brittany actually kind of spoke to this a little bit this morning. In the NIV, 
It says that we've been, we've been united, we've been grafted together. And in the NIV, it says, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, in the Passion Translation, it says, my new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God. Here's where I think we can read this in the NIV and, and misconstrue it, and we have oftentimes, and this is where Brittany talked about the, the proper translation of this is that it is the faith of Jesus that we now live by. Not, I live by my faith in Jesus. Do you see the difference here? When I have faith that I have to put in Jesus, it's all built on my faith. What do I trust? What do I believe? How do I do this? We're scripturally speaking in this idea of new covenant and this idea of co-crucifixion and then living as Christ lives in me is this idea that the faith of Jesus is our faith now. So the faith that Jesus had in who you are is the faith that you have now. The faith that Jesus said, no, 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 you were created by me to live this life in a way where you love and share my life, where you experience joy, where you experience life to the fullest, like that's what you were born to do, that is who you are now. The faith that Jesus had is the faith that now empowers you, not my faith and how big it is and how good I can be. There's a difference. Oftentimes we want to make this Christian life about our faith, how we are faithful to God or Jesus. But the proper way to see it or think of our life is how we are able to live it with Jesus and how it is empowered and powered and led by the faith that Jesus had in us, not powered by our own faith. It's a shift, a little, little twerk, a little, little different twerk, tweak, <laughs> not a twerk. Maybe a twerk, whatever. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Um. <laughs> anyway, when we know that the creator of all things, when you know that the creator of all things loved you so much that he stepped into our human experience as a man to show us the extent of his love for us as his creation, even to the point of allowing us, humanity, to kill him so that he can release us from the disease of the idea and the thought of separation for who we were created to be, you are set free to live as God's, God originally intended it. When we see God's love through Jesus, who stepped into this world, who walked this human experience, like I said, even to the point of going to the cross and allowing us humanity to kill him, because he, he allowed this. He, he said, okay, I'll, I'm going. Because humanity killed Jesus. We, we agree on that, right? Um, we killed Jesus. We put him on the cross. We killed him. And his, his thought here, his idea, the plan was, I will come in, I will die so that you, your old self, the idea that you have of you that was broken in the garden where you believe that we are not together, that you believe that we have been separated, that you believe that you will never be good enough, that all went to the cross and died with him. So that in his resurrection, we, united in his death, are now united in life, we now get to walk in a way where we believe 
by God's faith in us that we are connected to him, that we have become one and united with him, that we now, where Jesus is, I am. That Christ's life actually is lived in and through me. That I am forgiven, I've been set free, I'm a new creation, that we are united, that we are one in Christ. A Christ who believed in you, who loves you, who wanted to enter in so that he could work and live his life in and through you. So I'm going to give you an example, an illustration that I think maybe can help illustrate a little bit of this. So I've got this cup of hot water, right? I don't know who drinks tea, but here's how this... A coffee guy. But so I have this this cup of hot water or glass of hot water. Here's what I'm gonna do. Imagine this is you, right? This is your life. This is who you are. This is this is your personality. This is this is you. This is, that's Chad in a glass. It's about right. And now Jesus comes in and says that we are we die. And we are united as one. That when he is resurrected, we're united as one. So Jesus comes into our lives. It's still hot. And you know how this works, but it begins, the tea begins to permeate into the water. It begins to change the essence of the water, the taste of the water. It begins to just like completely infuse itself into the water. As Christ died, we died. As Christ is resurrected to new life, we are resurrected to new life. And as Christ permeates in our life, we begin to come one, become one. The, the water doesn't disappear here. The tea doesn't replace it. It doesn't even hide it. There's this old theology um, of the idea that we are just dirty. We've talked about this a lot. That we are dirty, rotten sinners in fact, there's an old theologian that says, you are dung. I won't translate that. You are dung. And he says that when Jesus came, he, he covered you like snow. So you are snow-covered dung. If I throw a snowball of snow-covered dung at you, you'll be really mad. You see, the idea, the concept of understanding that we co-crucified, co-resurrected in, in life with Christ is we are no longer, they never were, but we were no longer dung. We're not just snow covered, so we're still gross underneath, but when God looks at us, he sees the snow and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, go ahead and let them in. That, this, this concept that we are still gross and rotten, but Jesus covers us so that he tricks God into seeing him so that... It, it, we could just go into heaven. You guys have maybe heard this before. That, that's not how this works. In fact, when Christ went to the cross, we died. When he resurrected, we were brought to new life. We are new creations. Then things begin to happen where we are now one. We have become one. We, we, we are infused together. I know it's an illustration and analogy, and they always fall apart somewhere. I, maybe you can, but I don't, I don't know that you can take the water and remove the tea from it once the tea has entered into it. Maybe you can, but let's just say you can't for this illustration. <laughs> I could remove the tea bag, right? This can come out. But the water is not clear any longer. It has become 
the tea. When I drink this, it doesn't taste like water. It tastes like tea. I'm not going to because it's tea, but I'm just kidding. But when, when we are united with Christ, we become as one. You can no longer tell where you end and where God begins, where Jesus begins, because we are one. The idea of unity is we have become one. So now, like the tea has an essence, it has a smell, it has a taste, it, it, but it still has the characteristics of water. It hasn't, it hasn't become something different. Like I could still throw it at you and it's wet like water. The water exists in this, but the tea has permeated into every essence of it so that now it's together, it's united. Just like this, we, when we are new creation life, when we are united with Christ, we become as one. So now we carry the essence, the aroma of Jesus. Like this is who we are now. We can't go back. There's an idea that we could go back to where we used to be. Sure, you might act, and I've, I've told this analogy a lot, a caterpillar to a butterfly. A butterfly can go back and land on a leaf. It doesn't make it a caterpillar. When we've become a new creation, we don't go backwards. Christ has united with us. We are one now. While I might act like a caterpillar sometimes, I'm still a butterfly. While I might tell you this is water, and I might drink it to hydrate myself, you would say, that's not the most hydrating thing, Chad. That's a bad analogy. But... We can't go back. When we have been united with Christ, we have died. Our old self has died. We are new creations. We are united in life, in resurrected life with Christ. You've become one. Paul says in 1 Corinthians six seventeen, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. We have become one. In other words, our union with Christ is more profound than this mere partnership. This idea that Oh, Jesus is just doing this with me. No, it's a spiritual fusion. Your spirit and Christ's spirit become one. Moving together in harmony, guiding you in love and in truth and in life. I love in the, in the message translation, Eugene Peterson, Galatians 5.1, he says that, it's not 5.1. Five, three or four. He says, this resurrection life is not a grave tending life. It's not something that I'm just like waiting to get to death and to get into this place that we call heaven. But this resurrection life is this life where it's like, what's next, Papa? What are we doing next? Where are we going? You see, this, this invitation into new life and union with Christ is not one where we're just waiting to get somewhere, but we are actually permeating the love and the life of Christ where we are. We've become one. We've been united as one. And a lot of the Christian ideas that many of us grew up in, we were given an idea of God that needed us to live our lives and in the way that we were proving our goodness through our behaviors and our actions. It becomes about how good you can be at this. What, what I don't do, like I know for me growing up, it was like, I am a Christian. I do not drink alcohol. Alcohol does not cross these lips. Okay. But if you're still a jerk to people, it doesn't really matter, right? You, you're not grasping the concept. You have, you have stepped back into this place of law 
where you're just trying to prove yourself through an action or not doing something in order for other people to see you as holy and good. But you've missed the whole concept of who Christ is and what we've done and what he's done in us and what we've stepped into. This idea that I'm a Christian so I don't fill in the blank. That's not what this looks like. It's not a list of things that I can and can't do. Are the things that Paul or Jesus says that we don't do any longer because we are now united with Christ, that we are in Christ? Absolutely. I believe there are things that we hear and that we read in Scripture. Because there are a lot of behaviors, things that we call sin, that are just ways of finding who we are, finding something to be something else, finding ways to prove or find approval from others. There are things that we do to escape the idea that we have of who we are because of what people have told us we are. So we do something in order to escape that. Or there's this thing in law where if I tell my kids obedience, right? If I tell my kids, you must obey me because I said so. The reaction to that is twofold. There's typically two different things that happen. One, I, so I have a kid who, if I tell him you're going to, you have to, I'm your dad, you must, you must listen, and this is what I tell you to do, and you must do this. I have one kid that's like, all right, I don't want to rock the boat, so I'm just going to do what dad says, because I don't want to cause problems. I would say majority of the arsenal, just because I know a lot of you, is the other side of that coin. <laughs> Where when you're told you can't do this, you're like, <laughs> watch me. And I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Because it leads to either compliance or rebellion. It doesn't lead to a heartfelt obedience. It doesn't lead to this, who am I? And so I'm going to live from that. No, no, I'm either complying because I don't want to cause problems, or I rebel because I I, I'll never make it in this system. You tell me I must be perfect. I'm not. That's not going to happen. I cannot be perfect under your system. And so we, we have two reactions to that. And if you look back at your life, you're probably one of them. So we do these things in order to either try to fit in or try to just escape the system altogether. Paul says that system, you don't even live in that system anymore. So good, don't do it. You're not supposed to be there. But you've been united with Christ. You are now one with him. He is fused into you. So now you permeate who Christ is. Do we stop things because the Bible tells us to stop doing these? No, that's not really how it's supposed to work. It's not this idea of like, you just must be obedient. No, we stop unhealthy, self-serving behaviors because we begin to realize who we are in union with Christ. It's this different approach. I believe who God says I am, therefore I live in this place, in this way of Jesus permeating through me. It's very different than you must live this way in order to prove your goodness to God. Under that system, God's like, sitting up here waiting on you to do good. Under this idea of grace, no, no, you've entered into a place where God says, hey, I love you. You were my idea from the very beginning. In fact, when somebody came in and told you you weren't good enough, I sent Jesus. 
I stepped into this place so that I could enter in and show you that you are loved. Look at the life of Jesus. Jesus just loved people. There, if there's anything in any way that God is defined outside of the actions and behavior of Jesus, that's a false representation of who God is. Jesus was the thought that God had about you from the beginning. The actions of Jesus is who God is. That, that is the, the presence of, of God. So anything outside of that, I would say, maybe we've gotten it wrong somewhere. If I don't see Jesus doing this, I don't, God, God didn't change. So if I don't see Jesus doing what we believe God has done, maybe our belief and our thought on that is, is a little tweaked. Tweaked. You've become one with Christ. In fact, Jesus asked for us to be this. There's this beautiful prayer. I'm going to read half of it. Where Jesus, in John 17, it's right before he goes to the cross. He's, he's praying and he's asking his father for things, one for his disciples. And he says, even for those who will come after them. And he says these words in John 17, verse 21. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory you have given to me, I have given them so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me, and now I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity. And the world will be convinced that you have sent me, for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. Father, I ask that you allow everyone that you have given to me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my full glory, the very splendor you have placed upon me because you have loved me even before the beginning of time. You are my righteous Father. But the unbelieving world has never known you in the perfect way that I know you. Man, there's that just, okay. No, I'm going to say this. You are my righteous Father, but the unbelieving world has never known you in the perfect way that I know you. There's this, again, I go back to the concept of our thought of God has maybe been off. And Jesus even says, they haven't known you in the perfect way that I've known you. You see, each of us has known God through some form of representation of a person. Right? Like, we, we, none of us really probably came to this idea of God without someone else telling us about God. Right? All of us. Like, there's something that we're like, oh, who's this, who's this God thing? Tell me about it. Right? And we, somebody has told us about it. So even in that, there's been a maybe off idea of who God is. Jesus says, no, no, they don't know you in the perfect way that I know you. But I pray that they would. All those who believe in me also know that you have sent me. I have revealed to them who you are. And I will continue to make you even more real to them so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your love will now live in them even as I live in them. 
Jesus says, I pray that they would be united as one, as you and I, Father, are united as one. I pray that we would be united so that they may experience the endless love that you have for me and the love that now I live, I live in them. Jesus says, I pray that they would experience your love in, in just the, such a profound way that they would understand that it's that love that lives through them now. It is I, the love of God, who lives through them, so they now permeate that to this world. The famous theologian C.S. Lewis once said, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. You see, there's this, this union with Christ, and Jesus even goes further in it in his prayer, that we're not only united with Christ in resurrected life, but we are united together as one, that we are, we are united, that we as humanity have come together as one, that we would understand this, that the union of Christ is not just personal, but it's communal, that we see Christ in each other, that we're reminded of the vast interconnected body of believers, that we're connected to each other, that we're bound by love, by grace, by the shared journey of life. You see, when we're focused on law and religion and trying to prove ourselves, it brings division. Because it creates an us versus them reality. I am good, you are bad. I'm better than this person, therefore I'm a better Christian. It, it goes into weird theologies of, well, God loves me more, so he gives me more money. What? So God doesn't love people who don't have money? If you read the Gospels, like 200 times in the Gospels it says, that God talks about the poor and loving the poor, loving the orphan, the widow. Like God, God Jesus, that's just bad theology. I don't, know, I don't know how else to put that. God doesn't love you, so he just gives you more money. That maybe... God just loves you. Maybe you ended up in a system where you get a little bit more, and you know, we'll, we'll figure out how to be generous with that. Uh, when we're focused on law and religion, it brings about division. It brings about an us versus them language. It brings about this lack of understanding of a humanity that is interconnected. It leads to self-serving, selfish actions and selfish ambitions. It leads to War, maybe? I don't know. Maybe. Just division. Like, we see other people as not connected to us. That's not how the gospel works. That's not how Jesus worked. We, we, Jesus said, I pray that they would understand that they are united as one, as I am with you. So when we see people, we should see Christ, we should see each other, we should see humanity. When you suffer, I suffer. When you, when, when you are hurting, I am hurting. This is, that is the life of Christ in us. We've been united in this resurrected life that is united, is connected. We are not only united with Christ, but we are united together. And one of my favorite passages of scripture in Colossians 3, Paul unpacks this, and he says, now that you have become a new creation, I'll just read it. Colossians 3, verse 10, it says this. 
For you have acquired new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you. So when the life comes in, we are continually being renewed. We are learning to be who God says we are. We are this is what like sanctification, the word looks like. It is learning to be who God says we are. It's not like I'm getting better. I'm just going to be a better person. No, no, it's learning who God says you are so that you live from this place of union with Christ. He says that your new creation life, you're being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you. A lot of that happens here. That's where Paul talks about the renewing of the mind. When I believe that I'm something that God says I'm not, Jesus says, no, 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 let me, let me remind you. Let me renew your mind. Let me change your mind. Metanoia. Metanoia is, is um, repentance. Thank you. We've been taught repentance is, oh, I'm going to stop doing that thing that God says I shouldn't do. The word metanoia means a change of mind. Not a turning away from an action, but a remembering of who you are. Because when you remember who you are in Christ... You live from that place. And here's what that looks like. Paul says, in this new creation life, your nationality makes no difference. Your ethnicity, education, economic status, they matter nothing. For it is Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. We are connected. And when we realize this and we live like this, then this beautiful coming together for each other happens. And we live like Christ. And Paul says, this is what that action looks like. You are always and dearly loved by God. So robe yourself with the virtues of God. Since you've been divinely chosen to be holy, be merciful as you endeavor to understand others. Be compassionate, showing kindness towards all. Be gentle and humble, unoffendable in your patience with others. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release the same gift of forgiveness to them. Verse 14, for love is supreme and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. How do you know you are becoming who Christ says you are? How do you know that you are experiencing the union and you're living from that union? Love becomes the mark of true maturity. You are believing who God says you are. You are believing you are united with him and you are believing in the unity and the connection of humanity. So you're loving people. You are a loving representation of who Christ is to this world. This passage, you, if you've been here for more than a couple months, you've heard it probably more than a couple times because it's a, pas it's a passage that I just believe explains who we are supposed to be as new creations, as united with Christ. We're supposed to be merciful, forgiving, loving, patient, humble, gentle. We're reminded that our union with Christ is not just about salvation for some afterlife, but it's about transformation now. It's about living fully, richly, authentically, and anchored in Christ's boundless love so that we can then share that love with the world. Because love becomes the mark of true maturity. So we'll finish as we always do. Let's continue to mature in who we are in Christ and go love well. This is, it's who we're made to be. I love you, Arsenal. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Our hope is that you feel loved and encouraged. 
If you have questions or need prayer, please email hello at thearsenal.church and don't forget to download the Arsenal Church app.